0: Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell.
1: Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
2: Hello and welcome in to. Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. This is actually a special edition. Normally, it's just me and you're stuck with just my voice for too long. But this time, I asked for the services of Brian Taporic, of Forbes Sports, of Fansided, of the Basketball Riders, also the host of the NBA Pod, which you can find on every single podcast listening platform. And the thing is that's interesting about Brian is that Brian covers the Philadelphia 76ers. And because of that we got to have the unquestioned Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid debate. So what we did is we each picked three topics and we ran through them, whether it's Advantage Nikola, Advantage Joel. And we eventually got to the conclusion, and we'll leave that for you to listen to, but for a very deeply nuance and, you know, a little bit less than just the internet yelling at each other discussion about Nikola Jokic. I really wanted to go in depth, and Brian is as smart as anybody um, out there right now. So we had a great conversation about Nikola Jokic, about Joel Embiid, the different obstacles each one has to overcome, why some value Nikola over Joel. It was a great, great conversation, so definitely get excited about that, but we're also going to hit some news right here off the quick, uh, off the top as well, just because the Nuggets had some interesting you things happened in the past few days so first and foremost the Nuggets have now officially signed Tyler Cook to a two-way deal I believe it was Nick Kosmider of The Athletic who was the first to report that um, it was either him or my oh no it was Mike Singer uh, of the Denver Post who reported that Tyler Cook was going to get a two-way deal Nick Kosmider is also reporting that Bull Bull will si- will likely sign a two-way deal as well but also in Nick Kosmider's report he's basically specified how the Denver Nuggets are not approaching their two-way contract the same way they have in years past. They're instead trying to cultivate competition between players who could potentially get those roles. So they're going to have PJ Dozier at training camp on a training camp deal, which was already um, confirmed today through a Nuggets team, uh, team email where they just basically confirmed it. And then Bull bowl, who will be fighting for either the 15th roster spot or one of the last two way spots. So, Tyler Cook will get one of the two ways either Bull Bull or potentially PJ Dozier or anybody else the Nuggets bring to training camp could get the other one and then there also could be a player the Nuggets look to sign for the 15th roster spot. The Nuggets could look to sign Bull Bull to that. If PJ Dozier just blows them away, they could sign him to it because the Nuggets need a third point guard and a fifth guard who can play on or off ball and he fits that bill perfectly. So there's a lot of things that could happen here or the Nuggets could leave their 15th roster spot open, let PJ Dozier walk and then sign Bull Bull hold of a two-way deal and then use that Last remaining open roster spot to either facilitate a trade to bring back more players than they send out, or to use the buyout market. So that's kind of just the quick news updates where the Nuggets are. But now I have to first give you a couple quick words from some people who make the show what it is before getting into this Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid debate. First and foremost, congrats or shout outs to Terrapin Care Station. They did great at the Cannabis Cup. They are also a great dispensary for all of your cannabis goods. Whether you need dis- whether you need edibles, whether you need weed. Whether you need hash, whatever you may be looking for, um, Terrapin Care Station absolutely has it. Also, the Regulators Production Group is the people who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. So make sure for any audio production needs, you go find Regulators Regime on Instagram or Rod Simba. That is R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram. Lastly, this show is powered by Mile High Sports, so for any kind of sports coverage in the Denver metro area, or really anywhere in Colorado from collegiate sports to motorsports to all the major sports, make sure to check out MileHighSports.com. Now, before we go any further, here's a quick word from Terrapin Care Station before Brian and Teporek and I argue quite a bit about Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Brian Toporek. He is a quality editor over at Bleacher Report. He is one of the hosts of the NBA pod, which is one of the most fun podcasts I have actually done. We sat there for like 45 minutes to an hour, just completely bullshitting. And I had so much fun. So make sure you subscribe to the NBA pod. But We are going to argue today. We are going to get into the great NBA Twitter debate of Nikola Jokic up against Joel Embiid, which honestly, this probably is a little bit non-consequential because they are so close in every single way that people try and compare. Whether it's all NBA voting, whatever it may be, even when you rank the top like 12 players, you either have Jokic and Embiid 11 and 12, or you have them like 8 and 9, depending on how you see Dame and people like that. So I'm just going to get into the weeds with it. And the way we're going to do this is we each have a list. We each have three separate advantages that we think that our respective player that we cover, whether it's you with Joel and Embiid or me with Nikola Jokic, and we're just going to argue about how we feel about them. There are going to be discrepancies. We might have similar ones. We do not know each other's lists, so we're just going to dive into it and go. So I'm just going to let you start it off. What is the first one you have on your list?
0: Cool. Well, TJ, first off, thanks for having me on. Um, of hope- course. Hope you're ready for battle today. I'm sorry in advance for what Sixers Twitter does to your mentions. Uh, um,
2: so <laughs> it's I'm, all good. I'm prepared for the chaos.
0: <laughs> good, good. I'm going to go the cheap route first. I, I figure I'll go from the one where it's just so obvious he has the advantage, and then we'll move into the more controversial ones a little bit later. Cool. Defense, I think it's a it's a clear Joel Embiid is better than Nikola Jokic if you're arguing otherwise. I love you guys, Nuggets Twitter. I love, And I, I want to make this clear right off the top. I love Nikola Jokic too. Like this is not, I am not trying to dump on Jokic like a lot of people on Sixers Twitter do. I think he's a great player. Joel Embiid is clearly a better defender. He was sixth in the NBA blocks per game last year, 10th in block percentage, sixth in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim. And, you know, you mentioned the NBA pod. We just had Seth Partnow on on Friday. Uh, he was the Bucks' Director of Research for the past three years and worked for Nylon Calculus before. He's back at the Athletic now, and we were talking about kind of stats, advanced stats that get misused often, and he brought up, you know, defensive field goal percentage allowed, and how especially for wing players, it's, uh, it's kind of iffy because, you know, it's only measuring what happened. A player took a shot. You make or miss it. You have variance involved there. And sometimes good defense, especially for wing players, is preventing those shots from ever going up. So I got nervous when we were having this conversation because I had already pulled up this list. I'm like, oh, you know, Joel Embiid, sixth in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim. What a great thing going in his favor. But then Seth came back and said, well, you know what? The, the, the percentage allowed at the rim is at least a little more uh, reliable just because if you're in that close to the basket, more often than not you're shooting and so you can kind of measure the deterrent factor there. So that's a long-winded way of saying Joel Embiid is not only good at blocking shots, but he's also just good at harassing players within the you know the, the tight perimeter around the hoop where it's like the Gobert effect too. You see this with Rudy Gobert a lot where where players are afraid to take shots they might normally take or they have to adjust their shot angles just cuz you've got the 7 foot 2 behemoth standing at the rim, who can very clearly alter your shot or come back and, you know, have these massive chase-down blocks that you would never expect from a guy (laughs) his size. Yeah. So, you know, I think there we go. That's all working in his favor. Defensive win shares, too. He was seventh in the league Mm -hmm. last year. So that's where I'm standing I, I Really bold take, I know. Joel really Embiid. bold take. You went Joel out on Embiid. the furthest limb to get that <laughs> defensive takeoff.
2: But this is the thing. So I agree with everything you said. This is an undebatable topic, in my opinion, is that it is clear that Joel Embiid is the more impactful defender. I can already hear Nuggets fans in my ear talking about the Boston series against Al Horford. So if you got a <laughs> rebuttal but to him getting played off the floor at different points, that is something that I think people need to hear because he has been fundamentally played off the floor in the playoffs when Nikola Jokic is not and again I agree with you but this is going to be the devil's advocate that gets thrown back and I'm just curious your thoughts on how that kind of plays out in this grand scheme of things
0: yeah I think it's more I I mean first you never got played off the floor entirely um yeah you know especially you saw this past season against Toronto like the Sixers were an abomination without Mm -hmm. Joel Embiid on the floor they were you know game seven they lose by two points they were a minus ten in his three minutes off the floor, <laughs> right? Like yeah, it's that's it's just like hard to fathom how bad they were in such limited time. So, yes. but for for Horford in particular, I think Horford and Mark Gasol too—they're both just these veteran, savvy guys who aren't the most athletically gifted, who are you know past the age of thirty. They're both in their mid thirties at this point. You wouldn't expect them to have such success, but because they have that wealth of experience to draw on, they know his tricks. They, you know, they didn't fall for his pump fake all the time that a lot of younger bigs do tend to bite on. And, you know, Embiid has even come out and said, like, I don't know why people bite on this. I'm a 30% three-point shooter. Like, you should not you should not defend yeah. me here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he stopped taking three-pointers at one point. He almost eliminated the entire shot from his game at one point.
0: Right, right. For good reason, because he's yes. not a great three-point shooter. <laughs> but So I think Horford especially is just like, he's always mm-hmm. been this guy who he's never going to put up big box score numbers, but he's just really smart. And he frustrates Embiid because he doesn't like Embiid, has you know, an ever growing arsenal of offensive moves Mm -hmm. that I'm sure we'll talk about later. But if you don't bite on those moves, he didn't have a counter, and that's what got him into trouble against Horford in particular. The
2: reason that I wanted to bring this up is because especially like Andy Bailey's piece that's on Bleacher Report comparing Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic really hit this on the head. It's the way that the center position has evolved. Now there are more centers almost than not that are of the Marc Gasol ilk that are of those kind of Al Horfords that are more intelligent, maybe more groundbound, but they're having those guard skills. They're a triple threat type player where they can pass dribble shoot. So because of that, as the league is altering, I feel like it's an important distinction to make because the, the more that the NBA continues to evolve the more we're going to see these types of centers in my opinion which is going to lead into more of what joel and has struggled with it is also fair to say that he has improved against those kinds of players like you said he has the counter moves now he's not just skying for every block anymore either you right. made that point a little bit earlier before he was like kenneth farid kind of like i'm gonna block <laughs> everything if the shot goes up my arm's going at it and he's he's tempered himself he's calmed it down a little bit and it has improved his ability to stay on the floor in those kinds of moments because he's not not as erratic. But Mm -hmm. like you said, we're going to talk about the offense. So I want to jump into mine real quick, which, of course, it's easy to say Nikola Jokic is the better – passer, better creator. I don't want to go that route because it's boring. Nikola Jokic is a more threatening offensive player as a whole than Joel Embiid is, in my opinion. And this comes down to a couple things. Yes, I know Joel Embiid has the raw statistics. Yes, I know he has, like, the most ridiculous points per 100 possessions in league history. He's, like, up there with Michael Jordan. It's like, I understand all of those ideas, but... His basketball IQ on the offensive end of the floor still leaves a lot to be desired for me. He's a guy who makes the wrong decision just as often as he makes the right decision, whether it comes to trying to post up and force things or whether it's trying to make passes that don't fit or like you were talking about, the three-point shooting that just doesn't make sense to me when and why he is taking them. And the other thing is, his in-between game is not nearly as existent as Nikola Jokic's is. Nikola Jokic is a floater king. He's got, like, the absolute metal for it on 2K to where you don't (laughs) miss floaters for the rest of your life. Like, it's absolutely insane the way that he has become that legit three-level scorer, but lethal in the mid-range. Not just passable. So when you start getting the three-level score mixed with the actual decision-making processes and the playmaking, despite the raw numbers, I would say Nikola Jokic is a more threatening offensive player. What do you think about that?
0: I hate to be contrarian, but I don't entirely disagree. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is
2: a win for me. I thought you were going to disagree with this one.
0: So I think there's one place where Embiid does have a clear advantage over Jokic, and not just in terms of raw points per game. But the fact that he's just a much more physical interior presence than Jokic, I would argue. So he is much more adept at drawing free throws, getting to the Mm -hmm. free throw line. He's basically the James Harden of big men. And this I have is that what- written in my notes too. Actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's his strategy, and it's smart. Like he is a good free throw shooter, especially for a big man. He shot eighty point four percent from the line this year. He's not Shaq. He's not Dwight Howard. He is actively seeking out contact and trying to get to the line. He averaged the second most free throw attempts per game last season, trailing only Harden. This is, it's a strategy. Like you can see yes. it, especially when he's going against other elite bigs. Hassan Whiteside, Andre Drummond, though but I shouldn't put either of those in elite <laughs> bigs. But, <laughs> but
2: man, those are the first names that popped into your brain. was well, the thing
0: that just happened. <laughs> those are the guys who he really just eats their lunch every time. Yeah, so. I
2: get you. I get
0: you. <laughs> yeah. But like he, he actively tries to get those guys two quick cheap fouls, get them frustrated, mm. get them out of their headspace. That is his strategy. And the Sixers are somewhat built around that. Which, you know, like at a certain point you're kind of banking on Okay, we're going to get their main big in foul trouble and then Embiid's going to get to beat up on their backup for yeah. most of the rest of the first half. So I think that is one clear advantage offensively that MB does have over Jokic, but yes, obviously Nikola Jokic is the best 7-foot passer of all time. This is, you know, not a controversial take. Um he is a slightly yeah. better three-point shooter, I would argue, and I think you're right. Just a more... And even
2: that, that's gonna. we have to wait in time for that because both of them have been so erratic. There's yeah. been no consistency for either of them. Nikola was like a 28% three-point shooter last year. So, right. like, I agree with you. That's a wait-and-see moment for sure.
0: Yeah, and I, I think Embiid, you're right about the, the basketball IQ and, like, the shot selection more so than basketball IQ because Embiid has developed as a passer mm-hmm. over the past few years. Like, he is... You can see him making passes out of double teams that he wasn't making a year or two ago. And that's, you know, that that is the next big step in his development for all the focus on Ben Simmons' jump shot and B developing as a three-point shooter and as a passer will also help the Sixers like raise their ceiling significantly. But I think a lot of the three-point shots are, you know, you can see him running kind of slow in transition and then he, mm-hmm. he's the trailer and then they pass up the ball and he's just like he looks tired and he just takes these threes because he's like, I just don't want to go bang in the post for a possession. Like I'm I'm worn down. So I think conditioning is a big factor for MB. And it, it has mm-hmm. been for the past couple years where you can see that he gets worn down, especially toward the end of the season. Injuries obviously played a part in that, especially this past year with the, the knee injury um, that, you know, limited him to, I think, 14 of 24 games after the all-star break or something mm-hmm. like that. So, this summer we've seen swole Embiid. It seems like he's taking <laughs> his diet and uh, you know,
2: muscle watch offseason, baby. It's like oh, clockwork. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But for Embiid, it really might matter. Like, if he comes yeah. in to the season in the best shape of his career, you know, the Sixers now have Al Horford and Kylo Quinn. They're going to load manage Embiid strategically more than they did this past year when they made him play like 30 of the first, first 34 games and he wore down and then the knee injury popped up. There's a lot working in Embiid's favor where I think we're going to see the best Joel Embiid yet this season. But right now, I I, I agree with you. I think Jokic is the more complete offensive player, but Embiid's strengths as a interior presence at least give him the edge in that one specific category.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk about that, but there's one funny juxtaposition that I have to talk about, and it's the fact that we're getting swole pictures of Joel Embiid and shirtless Nikola Jokic dancing in a tree, and I just <laughs> love the juxtaposition of these two players at that point. Like, that is just so fun to me. and also, this is not to say Nikola Jokic is not getting in shape. He's actually looked extremely mobile in their two exhibition games against Lithuania to the point where I was like, what the hell am I watching? Like, he should be out of shape right now. Like, he should <laughs> (laughs) Not be comfortable in exhibition games at the very beginning of this of this stretch, but hey, he's looked mobile. But I just feel that's so funny. But I want to talk about the post ups because you said I can't remember the exact verbiage you used, but I believe you said that like he's far beyond Nikola Jokic in terms of one on one, just like post scoring, just banging down low. I would almost step that back. I think Nikola Jokic is extremely underrated in terms of how much of a behemoth he is Mm because that dude is seven foot. 255 260 of just raw manpower and he can absolutely score on anybody one-on-one and then we saw that in the playoffs that's why when everything just fell apart for Denver because they couldn't hit a single open shot for both of the series that they played Nikola Jokic was able to abuse whoever was in front of him at any given point and this mm-hmm. is a guy who has been able to get to his floater against guys to win games you know and hit clutch shots this is a guy who has utilized that post-up when the Nuggets just desperately need a bucket they'd have you know specific play designs obviously for your center to get post-ups but the Nuggets require that so much when the rest of the young players kind of fall off so for me Okay. I do feel like they're closer in terms of ability just to destroy someone down low one-on-one. And that's not to take away from Joel Embiid. I think it's trying to say that Nikola Jokic is more of an offensively gifted player who does not assert himself at the same level of Joel Embiid. Plus, Joel Embiid is the guy that's taking one step and windmill dunking on you. So you kind of get the discrepancy (laughs) in terms of how you see it happen. Nikola Jokic is putting three counter moves together, and people are like, oh, he's spun, whatever. For casual fans, that doesn't exist like it does for a lot of other people. So I do think that's kind of an interesting part of it. Do you think Nikola Jokic is underrated in that one-on-one post game kind of setting?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just as a scorer in general, like, if you think of Jokic, you think of the passing more than the scoring, if you're thinking of, like, a definable characteristic for him. But, yeah, like, he's very clearly a well-rounded player, not only as a passer, but as a rebounder and a scorer as well. So I I do think he's underrated to that extent. I mean, I also think, I want to get your take on this, too, is I think the Nuggets have done a better job building around Jokic than the Sixers have Embiid. I love they're, this take cuz they're they're both just such I mean Jokic is more unique than Embiid. Like Jokic and Ben Simmons are similar in that regard where they require a very specific team building mindset to maximize their abilities. Like I don't know that yeah. Jokic around If you put Jokic around next to a ball-dominant point guard who can't shoot, if you play him next to Terry Roger, you are screwing up what you have in Nikola Jokic. Whereas Embiid, he can command double teams whenever he wants. I mean, you almost have to double team him because he's going to beat most, if not every big man, one-on-one. And yes, his passing ability is improving, but he's also being forced into so many double teams because he's playing next to a guy in Simmons who very famously will not shoot three-pointers or will not even attempt many jumpers. So they're hiding him in the dunker spot, which allows other teams to largely ignore him and send another body at Embiid. So I think, you know, the fact that the, the Nuggets have correctly and wisely surrounded Jokic with shooters and said, you know what, we're going to enable you effectively as our point center gives him an advantage in that he can kind of more fully maximize his skill set than really either Embiid or Simmons can in Philly.
2: Also, this is a great point or a great opportunity to point out that non-shooting point guards are disappearing so fast. Nikola Jokic has probably made a combined $150 million extra for the likes of (laughs) Will Barton, Gary Harris, and Jamal Murray at this point in their careers, just being Nikola Jokic. But the one player he has been negative with every single moment was Emmanuel Moutier, a non-shooting point guard who just couldn't do it. So I find that really interesting that you brought that up. The other thing is I love the idea of looking at the process Sixers now completed and the process nuggets who refuse to stop the process because you talk about building around these players in different ways. Elton Brand and what came before him definitely went all in on just getting all of the talent they can get, obviously. I mean, I think that's not that's not a crazy statement anymore, mm-hmm. but the Nuggets have refused that. They've done the exact opposite. They have specifically targeted players who are not star caliber players in order to try and build a situation around Nikola Jokic that is advantageous for him. To me, that is trusting the process as much as anybody. Adam Matez of Denver Stiff did a phenomenal job of doing the visual of this kind of stuff and showing how the Nuggets are the last process team left. And I find it really interesting how the process Sixers stopped the process and the Nuggets kind of picked up that mantle building around Nikola Jokic because that's what they did. Every decision they have made ever since drafting Gary Harris go all the way back was we want shooters, we want high character guys, we want unselfish players, we want high basketball IQ. And they have literally found players who fit every single one of those boxes and they have put them around Nikola Jokic and that's why I think we have seen this. So, I find that super interesting that the process Sixers bailed on the process and went all in on talent now looking back does that frustrate you
0: i would say everything from december 2015 through <laughs> april 2018 <laughs> frustrates me about the sixers process yeah i'd say uh jerry colangelo taking you know whatever special advisor role he took and then ultimately forcing <laughs> sam Pinky out hiring his son as general manager four days later after a very comprehensive sweeping GM search. Yeah, all of that was terrible. Um, yes. But, you know, even that is a fair thing to even lob at Sam Hinkie. is no one, even now, four years later, the Jaleel Okafor pick remains the one... Gigantic mystery of the mm-hmm. Sam Hinkie era, just because it was yep. so antithetical. Not only, I mean, if you, maybe you're arguing, yeah, it's the best player available. Worry about fit later. But he was so so against everything Hinkie looked for in the mm-hmm. type of prospect playing style. They had Noel and Embiid already. They, you know, I I think ultimately they wanted the Lakers to take Okafor. They were going to take mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell. And this thing could have taken off a lot more quickly than it did. And I think, you know, going up to that draft until like the day of, I remember, you know, Okafor was widely being mocked to the Lakers. And then Kevin Ding, who worked for Bleacher Report at the time, the morning of the draft drops an article. And he's like, no, the Lakers have taken Russell at two. And that entire day, I was just like, oh, my God, yep. no. <laughs> because, I- you know, Porzingis, like, refused to talk to Sam Hankey. And I think Porzingis was much more of a... You could see him conceptually fitting next to Embiid or next to Noel, whereas Okafor, it's like this is never going to work and this is going to kind of snowball into two of these guys are going to get traded at some point for much less than their value. So, yeah, I think that's when you started to see cracks in the foundation and then the whole next year is where it all just started to really go to hell.
2: Yeah, the Okafor pick is funny, but it's not as bad as the Tyler Lydon pick. So we'll leave it there, and we will move on. But um, So I believe you are next. What is, what is your next one
0: that you have on that list? Sure. So it, this dovetails somewhat into the defense and physicality aspect, but I think rebounding, again, Embiid's got a clear advantage just if you're looking at per-game metrics, if you're looking at advanced mm-hmm. metrics. You know, he was per-game, he was 13.6 last year. Jokic was 10.8. Advanced metrics, total rebound percentage, Embiid twenty one point four percent, Jokic eighteen point seven, and I, again, I think it just comes down to the the body shape of Joel Embiid. Oh, he's just, I already hate this one. No, he's so <laughs> he's just so big, man. He's seven two two eight five. He's got I a j- He's the only one who grabs rebounds
2: on that entire roster as everybody else gets out of the way. Nikola Jokic has that Stephen Adam box out for everybody else thing going on for him too. Like that's the like oh man, rebounding is such a hard thing to quantify for me. Yeah. Because yeah. what which rebounds are important? Which rebounds are you setting up? If you're boxing someone else out and someone else gets the board, does that mean that you do not get credit for that situation? And I feel like Embiid is the He's the He's the big version of Russell Westbrook who gets a whole lot of boards from just being down there and not moving.
0: I would disagree with that just because Ben Simmons is also – he's a good rebounder, man. He's like averaged seven or eight a game last year. I mean, and Jimmy Butler is a decent rebounder too. Like this year will be the really interesting test because you Mm -hmm. now have – no, <laughs> their starting lineup features no one shorter than 6'6. Like, in theory, all five of their guys should be above average rebounders because they're playing against, you know, they're the Monstars this year. Yeah. So, so I mean, I hear you. I, I do think he gets, yeah, sure, he probably gets some uncontested ones versus some contested. I'm going to look up the box out numbers, but I Please think. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think just in general, like, he's, he's just so physically imposing. Mm-hmm. That that gives him an advantage just because, you know, he, he again, he's seven foot two and he has a giant ass. And, that's yeah. that. <laughs> and he can jump, man. That
2: dude is not ground bound. Like, no, that makes it so easy for him. And it's true. If you put Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid in the post together and threw a ball in the air, Joel Embiid is coming down with it. I'm very <laughs> cognizant of how that works in a vacuum for sure. I just find it right. interesting that's the play styles that make it interesting to me because Nikola Jokic is a high post player like he's not always getting down low and he still is managing to grab those 11 boards and he was up at like 13 and a half in the playoffs as well so when mm-hmm. he does decide he is going to get down there and take control of things which is far too infrequent that's a big part of this discussion is that Joel Embiid is not shy about getting everything he wants to get and Nikola Jokic is like he has the whole quote, he he said that he would rather make an assist as, a, as opposed to scoring because it makes two people happy, not one, channeling his Magic Johnson. Like right. So it's it, there's such a discrepancy between how they approach the game that it makes these conversations about who's a better rebounder so interesting because the roles are so different and the player personalities are. So I do like this discussion. I think it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, those are all fair points about, you know, Jokic is going to be camped out more on the perimeter than Embiid, but... Since, since you made me look up the box-out numbers, yes, I'm going to you here. Do Am- it! <laughs> Embiid was 7th in the NBA last year box-outs per game. Behind, former Nugget Yusuf Nurkic, by the way. Uh, team rebound <laughs> on box-outs. He was tied for 2nd in the league with Steven Adams. Lamarcus Aldridge was uh-huh. the only one ahead of him. Player rebound on box-outs. Again, 3rd in the league, trailing only Andre Drummond and DeAndre Jordan.
2: Yeah, see, this is why I like arguing with you because I knew that you would come
0: prepared and ready for this. Yes. Oh yeah, don't, <laughs> don't no come at me we were... with that. Bede's rebound <laughs> is is a fake Russell Westbrook rebounder. That that dude. I <laughs> okay. agree with you, Russell Westbrook's stat bad. pads. It's not... Yeah,
2: it's not as bad as Stephen Adams getting like six boards a game sometimes and just being like, Nah, man, this is you. You're, you're gonna get your 14 <laughs> today. But but you know, I feel you on that one for sure. But no, I will concede he is a better rebounder. I do agree with you in that regard. Joel Embiid is a better rebounder. But this is the one that you cannot argue. The longevity, the health, the durability. We have to have this discussion, whether it's for right now or down the line. Because Nikola Jokic has missed, I wrote it down, he has missed 20 total games in four years. Wow. Joel Embiid played 64 games last year, and that was a career high. Yep. So that alone, when you talk about raw statistics of Joel Embiid averaging more points, raw this, raw that, which people love to throw around when it comes to this debate, when you just play more games, your raw numbers are going to eventually be better off just because you are actually helping your team. And again, this a lot of this comes back on the Sixers. I don't want to make this seem like Joel Embiid is at fault for all of this by any stretch. The Sixers again, did not rest him as they should have to start of the year. The load management was not handled correctly and it led to him breaking down with, there's no argument here, but that's a big part of this. Cause Nikola Jokic he has the whole Marcus Gasol thing where I don't jump so I don't get hurt. Like that is such like an important part of this discussion. Like he's not explosive at all. So right. with that being said, how do you feel about the comparison looking down the line just 5 years, not even 10 years. I'm not trying to make this extrapolated just 5 years down the line.
0: Yeah, I mean I think if you're if you're you know starting a franchise today and you say who do you want? Jokic or Embiid? Jokic more than anything else the dur- durability is what gives him the advantage over Embiid, because you just aren't sure, is Joel Embiid going to be playing three, four, five years down the line? What level is he going to be at? Has he suffered another major foot injury or back injury that we need to worry about? Whereas, as you said, Jokic, knock on wood, has a relatively clean Mm -hmm. bill of health so far. So, yes, I think the uncertainty with Embiid makes him more, you know, of the two, it's more scary to build around him than it is Jokic, just because... Even, you know, even if you're hypothetically saying Embiid has a higher ceiling, he is a much lower floor. Yes,
2: and that's the thing, is the variable difference between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. This is where I think it's really interesting, is because Nikola Jokic's floor is probably as high as any player in the league in the top 10. I think that's fair to say, just because he's so consistently a twenty ten and 8 guy every single time he goes out there. Joel Embiid, his floor is, I'm not in the league in 3, 4 years. So... Their upside, in my opinion, is almost the same. I wouldn't say it's the same. If Joel Embiid is healthy and just good, Joel Embiid is a better player overall. I am completely willing to cop to that. But with their ceilings being generally the same, I think that Nikola Jokic becomes the better player, the more the player you would want to build around as a good thought experiment again, just because of that, just because the floor is so much higher. That's the perfect way to phrase it. But how much faith do you have that maybe Joel Embiid can raise that floor? Because he's played 63 games and then 64 games. So technically we're seeing improvement. But I mean, but do you feel comfortable at all right now? Or are you getting more comfortable?
0: I, I get less nervous every time he falls on the floor than I did two years ago. <laughs> so, does that count as an the
2: improvement? The life of a 76ers fan sounds so unbelievably stressful, man.
0: Like- yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I'm waiting. Matisse Tybull is going to have, like, Ugh. cholera soon. I, I know My the guy. Sixers rookie I curse is coming for him. Guy. Yeah. 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 Um, no, he's gonna play
2: some minutes this year, and they're not. No one's gonna score ever again on Philadelphia, and I cannot wait to see it. But that's, that's Completely hope. off the point. But continue. Uh,
0: I mean, I forget. Someone on ESPN wrote the article about like how Joella B trained himself to fall, basically yeah. to avoid injuries.
2: I, wasn't that Jackie Mack that did that? That
0: I don't remember, but yeah. sure, I will. I whoever <laughs> did it did a great job. And it made me feel a little bit better knowing that like, oh, there's some method behind the madness because he does hit the floor a lot. And you're like, Mm. can you just stay on your feet, man? But then it's like, actually maybe you shouldn't stay on your feet because you're, yes, you're saving yourself from impact there. Um, Do I have confidence that Joel Embiid is going to be, you know, not the second coming of Greg Odin? Yes, because he's already, no matter what happens from this point forward, he's hit a higher ceiling than Greg Odin ever did. So that's, that's good. The fact that the Sixers went out this offseason, got Al Horford and got Kylo Quinn, who gets glossed over a lot in the discussion of their off season, but Kylo mm-hmm. Quinn is a very good third man, third big man. Like, yeah,
2: and a guy that can just take up from the physical punishment from Embiid. Same way that like Ed Davis is perfect in Utah.
0: Right, right. I mean, like, I, I would be surprised if Joel Embiid plays more than sixty five games this year. I'm going to write a thing for Forbes at some point this month where you know he's got I think he's like 12 to 1 to win MVP like I would not bet on Joel Embiid to win MVP this year and it's not just because of the injury risk but also load management I mean they were very strategic in going out and seeing like as I mentioned you lose game seven by two points and you were minus 10 in the three minutes Embiid was off the floor we need not only like just an average backup But we need someone who can really help take Embiid's load off during the regular season. And now we have Al Horford, who is a multi-time All-Star, who has played center for the Celtics for the last couple of years, who has come out and said that he wants to play power forward more. And we'll see how those two guys coexist. But he's also going to get a lot of minutes at center when Embiid's off the floor or give Mm. Embiid some nights off. So I'm optimistic, at least, you know, they were talking during exit interviews during the the introductory press conference with Horford and all the other new guys, you know, they were talking like, is Embiid on board with this plan? Is he willing to sit out more nights this year than he was last year? And Elton basically said, yeah, like, (laughs) this is why we went out and got out Horford. (laughs) Of course he is. And and Embiid said it during his exit interviews too. It was like, you know, they were asking, you know, seeing what happened with Kawhi Leonard, and this was before they even won the title. This is just after the Raptors beat them. Seeing what happened with him, do you need to change the way you approach the regular season next year? And he said, yeah, I mean, like, I look at Kawhi Leonard and, you know, he later came out and said, I wouldn't be in the finals if I didn't have this load management plan. Yes, I do need to be smarter. I do need to remind myself that the regular season is a marathon and not a sprint. But at the same time, last year, I felt guilty because the Sixers didn't have a backup center who could even hold his water. And we often got blown out anytime it went off the floor. So I felt bad. Like I didn't want to be costing my team. So now that they have a to have a Kylo Quinn, have some other options, I have faith that Embiid is going to be smarter about the way he approaches the season. And again, as I mentioned, Muscle Watch is in full effect. He looks well, He looks to be in good, good shape, hopefully the best shape of his career. You know, I think he's done everything possible to mitigate the risk of an injury but it's still basketball like weird stuff happens. I can't say for sure that he's going to be, you know, I don't know what his future holds in 2022 or 2023. I just know that if he stays healthy, he has one of the highest ceilings in the league. Yeah. I'm I'm there with you. And I think an
2: interesting part of this too is I'm so curious why he played cuz what is he playing like 36 and a half
0: minutes a game or something like that? He if was, I remember uh, correctly. Yeah, it was like somewhere in that range. It, it was it was just like too many. I don't remember the yeah, exact Yeah, and that's the thing that, that's the point I was going to make.
2: Nikola Jokic played like 31.3 minutes a game in the regular season. That was planned. It was not because Nikola couldn't handle it. This is a guy who played 65 minutes in a single game in the playoffs. Right. So it's not that he can't handle more minutes. It was just premeditated that they weren't going to do it. They were like, "No, we're not going to kill you. So yeah. I wonder if Joel Embiid will be okay with Kyle Quinn and Al Horford in a front court together off the bench for a six-minute stretch. Like, is he going to be comfortable sitting for six to eight minutes for stretches? Or is that – because I understand that, sure, I'll play less games. Mm-hmm. I get that he can be comfortable with that. But when you start losing your minutes load during games, your rhythm changes, your comfortability with your role changes. I'm wondering if they're even willing to broach that conversation, if they do, how Embiid would even be willing to react to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, from Elton's comments and from Joel's comments, it seems like they're talking about both minutes per game and games played. And I think that's the smart approach. I just think in general, like MB knows, you know, maybe he's just never gonna be a 35 minute per game player. And that's okay if you're per game production or you're per If you minute. can
2: do it in the playoffs and you can win, that's what matters. It's not right. about playing 35 in the regular season.
0: Yeah, especially if, you can, if your team can win with you playing only 28 instead of 34, 35. Who gives a damn, man? Save your body. The, like the real, all that matters happens in mid-April and afterward. Just get there. Get to the finish line. And then we can start you know, talking about really boosting your minutes up from there.
2: I'm with you. I'm with you. So now that we have gone through – because you got all three of your list done, right? I didn't lose track throughout this process.
0: Yeah, technically free throws a, you know, I knew you were yeah, going to go yeah, into scoring. Yeah, yeah. We, so, uh, yeah, free throws was my, yeah. my third I knew third we were going to cross match. I knew that was going to happen at some point. Yeah,
2: yeah. So now that we've talked about this, give me your pitch for who is better and why. So I think – I'm going to make you do it first. you You're You're the one that's on this spot right now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the way I said it earlier is really how I feel about these guys. I think Embiid, and you said it as well, you said if Embiid is fully healthy and in shape and can make it through a whole season, he has the higher ceiling of the two, but the floor is so much lower than Jokic that, you know, if I'm saying I'm going to build a team from scratch, who would I build around? It's just how much risk are you willing to take? And if you're willing to gamble on the upside, you maybe go Embiid. And if you're willing to say, you know what? I'm good with Jokic is going to be a top 10 player in this league for a long time. I'm good with that. I don't necessarily need Joel Embiid's upside. If I have the floor of Jokic, I go with Jokic. You know, having watched the Sixers for the last five years, it's hard to like take the emotion out of it because Embiid is just such, he's really the, the emotional Pulse of this team. Like when he was sick during the Raptors series in games four and five, especially game five, you know, where they got blown out, I think, by like 30 plus points, or they were losing by 30 for much of that game.
2: Yeah, it was a 35 point game in the third quarter. I remember watching that one. Yeah,
0: it was brutal. And you could just see, like, he was so lethargic and out of it. He's not communicating on defense. I, and i think that's a big part of the value he brings not only his physical impact as a defender but you know the, the cliche is like the quarterback of the defense he really is like without him communicating the way he usually does they they just had nothing they had no answer and then he comes back in game 6 and he's you know at least <laughs> at least could fake yeah. that he was healthy again and it, they look like a totally different team so it's hard to say it's I think it really comes down to how much risk you're willing to take but yeah I'm I I just believe in Joel Embiid's upside I believe there's still I I, you know Giannis gave the quote earlier this summer he's like I'm only 60 percent of what I can be I think the same is probably true with Joel Embiid I, I agree I think there are just you know obvious areas he can he can still improve his shot selection his decision making his passing he can cut down on his turnovers. He can just be smarter with his minutes load so we can get him to the playoffs healthy. If yeah. all of those things happen, I'm confident. You know, I've seen some people say, like, I don't think Joel Embiid could be the number one option on a championship team because of this. That's so
2: foolish. It's yeah, so like, foolish.
0: Joel Embiid could easily be the number one option on a championship mm-hmm. team. If Kawhi Leonard didn't hit a four-bounce shot We might be talking about Joel Embiid as the option, the number one option on a current championship team. Like, the Sixers were a title Could you imagine,
2: like, DeMarcus Cousins on one leg trying to defend Joel Embiid in the finals? Like, that would have been a disaster. It would have been a bloodbath if that would have gotten to that point. So that's not crazy at all. He would have been the best player on a likely championship team at that point.
0: Right. And I mean, I'm going to go to my grave saying this, but I think the Raptors were a worse matchup for the Sixers this past year than the Bucks. I think... No, I agree with that. Yeah, had the Sixers gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals, I do believe they would have gotten to the Finals. And then, you know, does Kevin Durant, who knows, does he tear his Achilles again? Hopefully not. Does Klay Thompson tear his ACL? Hopefully not. Who knows how the Finals would have gone. But, you know, I I just think, you know, we could fast forward in a year from now and Joel Embiid could be an NBA champion and, you know, the number one option on the team, with all due respect to Tobias Harris, who is being paid more than him. (laughs)
2: And also got just eviscerated by Kawhi Leonard in that series. So let's be very clear about how his defense is. But that's my favorite part about this is that – Joel Embiid is a top 10 player. He's a walking top 10 defense. Nikola Jokic is a top 10 player and a walking top 10 offense. Like, I just love, like, it doesn't matter. There is no wrong answer here. If people really are so hard-lined on this, they're already completely lost in this process as it is. Because, let's be very frank, this is probably the ninth and 10th best players in the league. They were separated by, like, 30 All-NBA points. Like, you're talking as minute of a difference between the two of them (laughs) and overall value as you can create. That's why this conversation continues to exist in this NBA, Twitter, and internet world that we live in is because it is so close. So that's why I like these conversations though. Like, sports aren't supposed to be black and white answers. Like, it's nice to have no idea. Because I think both of us are very well aware that we could be completely wrong with how we feel right now about both of these players because things can change so drastically. That's why Mm -hmm. I love this league, man. This league, like, it's a a bottle of wine between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant and the league blows up for five years like there's just so much of a chaotic factor and it's so much fun and that's why I like this conversation so I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk about all of this foolishness that is going to end up with our mentions being a hellscape for the next week but <laughs> sure. regardless I had so much fun doing it um did you have anything else you had that you didn't get off your chest about Joel Embiid or, or Nikola Jokic that you wanted to
0: well you didn't say who you would take
2: Oh, it's Nikola Jokic. I think Nikola nah. Jokic's baseline. And this is the thing. I think that Nikola Jokic is probably closer to Joel Embiid defensively than Joel Embiid is to Nikola Jokic offensively right now. And I know that is a hot take. That one is a stretch. I think the gaps are actually bigger in Nikola Jokic's favor offensively than the gap between them defensively.
0: But that's – you got thoughts. Let it go. No, no, yeah, let it no, out. I, it's, I mean, it's an interesting – Cause yeah, I think because I know Sixers Twitter is going to be all over this. Jokic's defense is definitely underrated. He is not Mm -hmm. as bad of a defender as his reputation has him out to be. And it, it, I think this debate really comes down to risk tolerance and then what do you want out of your starting center? As you said, Nikola Jokic is a walking top ten offense. But do you feel that you could build a title team around a center who isn't necessarily an elite defender? Or do you want an elite defender who can get you buckets, you know, go to the free throw line, get you buckets, but isn't necessarily the best decision maker offensively, at least at the time. And and you're right. I mean, I I think a lot of it, as you said, this could change at any given moment. I think like the interesting thing is like, all right, Elton Brand calls Tim Connolly, says Nikola Jokic (laughs) for Joel Embiid straight up. I don't know that either team says yes to that.
2: No, they both say no and hang up really fast.
0: Right. Which I think, you know, speaks to, as you said, like this is, there are millimeters in this debate. Mm -hmm. Like this is not, there is no clear cut answer, which as you said, it, it makes it really fun. So yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm happy to debate anything aside from Ben Simmons' jump shot. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it sounds like a plan man i just hope we get to see both of these teams in the finals i want to watch the non-process sixers against the process nuggets and just literally see how this dukes out over seven games on the biggest platform and it might actually happen there's what like nine teams this year who could realistically win a title that have like a better than 10 percent chance so this could be the year where we find out all these questions that everyone keeps yelling about anyway so <laughs> I cannot wait to see it. Thank you again so much. Tell everybody where to find you. I know I said a little bit at the top, but give your own little spiel for yourself.
0: Yes, uh, you can find, I host the NBA podcast with Morton Jensen, a disgraced Bulls fan. You can find that <laughs> wherever <laughs> podcasts are found, iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. You can also find me freelancing at Forbes, where I write about the Sixers and some salary cap stuff. Uh, the B-Ball Writers, which is basketballwriters.com and Fansided. Perfect. Thank you again, man. It was so much
2: fun. And I'm sure we'll be talking again in the near future.
0: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on.
1: sports fans, football season is here and the time has come for you and your friends to have some fun. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, basketball, college, and all your favorite sports events. You can take a side, total, or try their in-game live action. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and use promo code CHAMPION to be entered into our amazing prize pool. That's MyBookie.net promo code CHAMPION. Get in on the action today. No deposit is necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited. Hey, sports fans, football season is here, and the time has come for you and your friends to have some fun. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, basketball, college, and all your favorite sports events. You can take a side, total, or try their in-game live action. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and use promo code CHAMPION to be entered into our amazing prize pool. That's MyBookie.net promo code CHAMPION. Get in on the action today. No deposit is necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited.